This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. We will be joined in a few minutes by Rose Saki Milligan and Tom Weiner. They are local residents who are on the planning committee for the event Standing Together Against Racism and Anti-Semitism. We think it's important that you know about this. We'll also be joined by Jeff Napolitano, local activist, because Jeff has some thoughts about what went on in this program, well, recently, about the COVID protocols in our local schools. First, we have a fish wrap for you. Today's newspaper is tomorrow's fish wrap. Let's talk about the elections. First, let's look at the governor's council. I know that this is not the first <laughs> race that you're interested in, but it is, the, to me, the most surprising result. So I want to start there. I want to also say kudos to you, Bill Newman, for making this such a marquee aspect of the show. And if you go back and where, you know, we might be the only media outlet who has gone into great detail about this particular race. Even the podcast about this race, I think, has been very informative to people while they were trying to make that decision. Well, thank you so much. So here are the results with 88 percent reporting, I think, as about three minutes ago, Tara Jacobs, the school committee member, is leading this race by a little over 100 votes over Michael Fenton. Tara Jacobs has 22,330. You should hit refresh because <laughs> now my screen is saying oh dear. Michael Fenton is winning by 22,942 votes to Tara Jacobs, 22,854 votes. So there is an 80-ish to 100-ish vote margin that keeps switching back and forth, even as we are live on the radio right now. When I start, opened this page before the show started. Come on, I, this Jacobs is old technology. Holy, I had this now. printed out a minute ago. <laughs> oh, you, you keep printing out the internet and see how well that goes for you. <laughs> okay, that part doesn't work that well. Okay, Tara Jacobs, uh, the school committee uh, member uh, from the Berkshires, and Michael Fenton, uh, Springfield City Councilor and Attorney, uh, are neck and neck in this race for the governor's council in our 8th district. Sean Allen has 21% plus a little of the vote. Jeffrey Morneau, uh, about 17% of the vote. Uh, but Tara Jacobs, who I am surprised has done so well, but I assume has swept uh, the Berkshires. And in addition, I think got a lot of people who wanted to vote for the one woman in the race. And something that she used. I'm not in any way speaking out of turn here. She made that very explicit in her campaign announcements and in her interviews here on this show. Anyway, really interesting. Tara Jacobs uh, with close to 31% of the vote and Michael Fenton of Springfield with close to 31% of the vote are neck and neck. Sean Allen and Jeffrey Morneau are trailing, although Sean Allen and Jeffrey Morneau both had respectable uh, results for this race. The Governor's Council in the 8th District and the Democratic primary. Still, I am surprised that someone from the Berkshires uh, who has no legal experience uh, would have this kind of a result for the uh, Governor's Council. What's more surprising to me is that with the big backing and the big names that were backing Michael Fenton, your, you know, Representative Richie Neal and your sheriff from Hamden County and the... the, Yeah, and the, the, sorry, the District Attorney of Hamden County, uh, that this would be so close with a person not in the legal system from the Berkshires, where the you know maiden population hub is Springfield. This is a very interesting race, and it's not over yet, it appears. The other local race of significant interest, the race for Hampshire County Sheriff, Patrick Kalein, Yvonne Gittleson, and Caitlin Cepeda. 
Uh, Patrick Kalane, as of this time, you can refresh, hit your refresh button, Monty. Okay. With 81% reporting, Patrick Kalane has almost 48% of the vote. Yvonne Gittleson has 29% almost, and Caitlin Cepeda a little over 23%, which will indicate that Patrick Kalane has been reelected sheriff of Hampshire County. Uh, I don't think this is a surprise, but it was certainly not a given. And Yvonne Gittleson and Caitlin Spada both ran very forceful, very competitive campaigns. And if you were to add up their totals, you would find that that amounts to a majority of the voters who voted in that race for Hampshire County Sheriff. The thing that's most interesting to that about that race to me is that there were three and then two candidates running against the current sheriff, all three of whom worked for that sheriff. That's maybe a very telling issue in and of itself, but turns out that they split the vote and Patrick K. Lane lives to be sheriff again for another six years. With about 48% of the vote. Of course, it's not a given that those uh, two opponents, if they had only been, if they had merged their efforts and only one of them had run, would have received over 50%, but you add up what they got and they did. So anyway, that's been a Fascinating race. Uh, a lot of things still to be uh, determined and disclosed after it, including the uh, brouhaha, appropriate in my opinion, about a, a member of the sheriff's staff taking photographs of a uh, another person who works there had uh, launched signs up for one of uh, Kaylane's opponents. So, still to be revealed, I believe. Uh, two other races, or three other races, I'd like to uh, comment on. Uh, for Lieutenant Governor uh, Kim Driscoll, mayor of Salem, has prevailed over Eric Lesser, Senator Eric Lesser. Uh, Eric would have been a magnificent lieutenant governor, would have made a lieutenant governor. The way the votes split, kind of east-west. Kim Driscoll won Worcester and east, and Eric Lesser won uh, west of Worcester, and he did very well in the western part of the state where people know him. It is very difficult for a person from Western Massachusetts to run a statewide race, particularly if you don't have money or a lot of money. But he and did. He hit Well, not compared to Kim Driscoll. Right. He did raise a lot of money. A lot of pe people who've worked with Eric support Eric. They think he's terrific. Um, but Kim Driscoll, of course, had a lot of money and dark money and a Republican pack. <laughs> well, I heard you last night. Yes, congratulations I, I, to the team I have for some... the live election coverage. <laughs> you were on a tear last I, night on the air when the polls had closed about that super PAC money for Kim Driscoll. Yeah, I have, I have some thoughts. I have some feelings about yeah, that. Yeah, we heard them last yeah. night. Uh, so uh, Kim Driscoll will be, in all likelihood, the next lieutenant governor. There will be a race for governor against uh, Deal, against Maura Healy. Uh, Deal is backed by, I hate to say these words on the air, I know how sensitive uh, everyone is to these words. Uh, okay, Donald Trump backs him, vigorously backs him. And, you know, we, I, I don't think we should be complacent about this. Massachusetts has a history of electing Republican governors, We've had one the last number of terms. We frequently have a Republican yeah, governor. Yeah, since Dukakis, the only non-Republican governor, a Democratic governor, was Deval Patrick, I think, if I've done the math correctly. But think of the Republicans who we have had. You may disagree on a lot of issues with Charlie Baker if you are a progressive or a Democrat 
You may disagree with a lot of issues from Governor Mitt Romney, who brought us Obamacare, by the by, in Massachusetts before it became a national thing. Uh, those type of Republicans are still people that I enjoy having spirited debate with. Is the Trump effect taking effect in the Bay State, where I like to think cooler heads generally prevail? And is this election last night, this primary for the Republican ticket for governor, indicative of the Trump effect? Well, what it's indicative of is that Trump controls the Republican Party. The Republican Party is a minority of voters, about less than a third, considerably less than a third of voters in Massachusetts, I think under 20 percent. Still, when you look at those election results here in Massachusetts, the Donald Trump part of the Republican Party. It's not a wing. It is a core part of the Republican Party. Donald Trump controls the Republican Party, even in Massachusetts. And that, I think, is the take-home lesson, a take-home lesson from last night's election results. Another race to look at, the attorney general's race. I saw a piece this morning, Monty. I think it had to be a typo, but maybe not. It said that uh, Shannon Liss Reardon, who lost this race to Andrea Campbell, uh, Shannon Liss Reardon, the uh, very well-known labor attorney who had the backing of organized labor, didn't run the table on that, but had most of the backing of organized labor, uh, ran a lot of ads. Uh, I saw them frequently on the Boston Red Sox games. I got mailers from her every other day, uh, and there was a lot of advertising that went on. The piece I saw this morning said, I, I just can't believe this is true, that she spent $93 million of her own money. There was something, somebody that we were talking to yesterday said something to that effect tens as well. Of mil- to, it was tens of millions, and she hasn't filed, as of yesterday, had not filed her final campaign finance numbers. They weren't required. There's nothing improper about this. They weren't required until midnight last night. That said, really? I mean, tens of millions of dollars for an attorney general primary race in Massachusetts? That seems really quite extraordinary. So the Democratic nominee for attorney general will be Andrea Campbell, former Boston city councilor. She was backed by Maura Healy, endorsed by Maura Healy. Uh, Shannon Liss-Reardon had a lot of endorsements from very powerful people, including uh, Elizabeth Warren and some others. But the race at the end of the day was not all that close. And Andrea Campbell won, I think, by, by 15 points. It was a significant victory. For other races, we'll look at briefly Secretary of State William Galvin. He wins 80 percent. He seems to 70. He always seems to win 70 or 80 percent. There was a, a spirited campaign to replace him, saying time for a younger generation. It did, that campaign did not prevail. For auditor Chris, I'll just say quickly: if you forgot to vote yesterday because it was the day after Labor Day, you have Secretary of State William Galvin to thank for that in some degree. So. Maybe it is time to get some new blood in there that could make some changes that might make Election Day a day that people will be able to pay attention to a little bit. Well, Secretary of State's office will remain that of uh, Secretary of State Galvin's office for at least the next four years. Presumably there is no Republican running against him in the November elections. And finally, in the auditor's race, uh, Senator DeGrosio won uh, over Chris Dempsey. I was very impressed with Chris, I'm trying to look and see how many people here that I voted for, who I voted for, won. Nope, not that many. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. We are going to talk about standing together against racism and anti-Semitism right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. 
Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday highbrow? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Highbrow Wood-Fired Kitchen and Bar is one of the exciting restaurant experiences in downtown Northampton. Highbrow features cutting-edge American food and the best wood-fired pizza in town. Meatball pie, chev, and truffle mushroom. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. This is Kevin DeRosa, Vice President of Retail Operations at Greenfield Savings Bank. This noise you're hearing is the sound that a document shredding truck makes when it's preventing identity theft. And to help protect you from... And, and, and to help protect you from identity theft and fraud, Greenfield Savings Bank is holding a free shred fest on Saturday, September 17th from noon to 3 p.m. at our Turner's Falls branch at 282 Avenue A. Our free document shredding event is open to the public and you can bring up to three shopping bags of your unneeded documents, which could be used to steal your identity, such as bank statements, credit card slips, old utility bills, or anything with personal information on it. We'll shred them while you watch. Come to the Greenfield Savings Bank Free Document Shred Fest on Saturday, September 17th from noon to 3 p.m. at our Turner's Falls branch at 282 Avenue A. Member FDIC, member DIF. Greenfieldsavings.com. Sign up for Will Bike for Food, the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts' annual cycling fundraiser presented by Stop and Shop. Every dollar raised provides four meals for those at risk of hunger. Ride 10, 25, 50, or even 100 miles on Sunday, September 25th, or ride your own miles on your own time throughout September. Registration is just 40 bucks and includes a t-shirt and an all-access pass to the C.E. Floyd After Party with food, drinks, live music, and more. Sign up or donate to a team or individual at willbikeforfood.org. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We welcome back to our show Tom Wiener and to our show Rose Saki Milligan. They are local residents who are on the planning committee of Standing Together Against Racism and Anti-Semitism. Rose is on the board of the Sojourner Truth School. She is a major player, so to speak, in the Springfield Jazz Festival. Tom Wiener, of course, has been with us a number of times, local educator, longtime educator, and author. So, standing together against racism and anti-Semitism, Rose Saki Milligan, please tell us what it is, when it is, and then I want to get to the really important question, why it is. Rose, please. Uh, Standing together uh, is a an event that will take place on Tuesday, uh, September 13th, beginning at 7 p.m. 
um, on Zoom, we will be uh, speaking with Yavila McCoy, and uh, it's an organ organizing event to in enliven uh, commitments in our valley to pay attention to those two issues. Well, tell me this. A lot of people think of the valley as a pretty mellow place where we don't have a lot of racism or anti-Semitism. Uh, but the title of this event, and I'd like to know more about what it will be, and we'll get to that in just a second, Standing Together Against Racism and Anti-Semitism, I'd like to the quest, get to the question of why. Why do we need this in the valley? Well, in the valley, on, on, we would like to believe that the valley is unlike other parts of the nation, other parts of the world, and in some respects it is. But on these two issues, I know racism and anti-racism is in our blood as people. It is, it's the air we breathe and the waters we swim in. And so um, we are infected by that same, all of us are infected by that same disease that we need to address. In our valley, our, our aim is to not allow the division that takes place between us as people of color, black people, and pe people of Jewish ancestry. This, there is a force in our midst that uses our difference, differences to drive a wedge, to create a division uh, that makes us less powerful in our attempt to overcome whiteness and white supremacy. And that is the intent of the event, is to, uh, to organize our forces, to realize that there is this energy in our midst and to work in counter-distinction to it. That is the purpose of our event. The event is Standing Together Against Racism and Anti-Semitism. It will be Tuesday. September 13th at 7 o'clock from 7 to 8.30 on Zoom. And, of course, it is free, but you do need to register. I'd like to know more about what the event itself will be, so let me turn from Rose Saki Milligan to Tom Wiener. Tom, tell us what the event will be, what we'll see, what we'll experience, if you could, please. It has several purposes. Thanks, Bill. Um, first, uh, in terms of the speaker and the person that Rose and I will be asking questions to during the uh, first almost hour, Yavila McCoy is an extraordinary uh, presenter of ideas on these subjects. And she is a woman of black and Jewish uh, involvement right now. She's a black woman and she's a Jew. So she covers the bases. And we'll be asking questions to her through the first hour and then there'll be a Q&A. But the questions will be directed at what you're asking us why and how come and what's going on and what can we do about it? Because there really are two at least major purposes of the night that, that Rose is, is highlighting. One is to bring attention to racism and anti-Semitism in our valley. And it's, it's alive and well tragically as it is all over. There's an incident that happened or the rehiring of the sheriff of uh, Greenfield by the mayor this week is bringing out a protest. The police uh, chief, the to be clear. The police chief, I'm sorry, sheriff, of course, is new, newly elected sheriff. Police chief, thank you, Beth. 
But there's an incident in Greenfield that's going to require people's uh, response. That's going to draw attention to racism in the valley. Um, Yavilla is going to bring her knowledge and expertise on this subject in a much more general and not just local way. But the a second purpose of the of the night is to enable people to form more of a coalition to bridge this gap that rose was staying between black people and Jewish people and stand together, forge closer relationships. We're going to end the night with a survey. We're going to ask people what kinds of things they might like to do going forward to promote being able to stand together as Jews and black people in this valley. So that's, that would be the second major purpose beyond hearing Yavila respond to the questions we're going to ask on the subject. Tom Weiner or uh, Rose Saki Milligan, can you tell us a bit more about the speaker? I heard she's black and she's Jewish, a combination that is, of course, not all that rare, but it's kind of rare. Um, and uh, although I must point out that uh, Rabbi Justin David has been uh, very involved in making sure that all persons are welcome to that congregation, which is one of the sponsors. And maybe we should pause for a moment to note the uh, sponsors that uh, and the groups that are uh, supporting this event, Standing Together Against Racism and Anti-Semitism. Uh, Rose or Tom, would you care to tell us about that? Uh, well, as far as Yavil is concerned, she's been speaking out on this subject throughout the country. And several people on our committee have heard her and feel that she is the ideal person to be in this role. Uh, not only does she have the ancestry and the links to Judaism and, and African-American uh, heritage, but she's also someone who is a deep thinker, has incredible ideas on the subject, and is going around the country speaking. So we feel very blessed that she's been able to come to our event. Um, in addition to that, we have incredible list of sponsors. I think there are as many as 50. Everything from Sojourner Truth School, Congregation B'nai Israel, Surge, uh, um, Western Mass Surge Against Racism, Bridge for Unity. I could go on. I don't have the list in front of me, but I think there are at least 15 sponsors. We've had very good fortune in reaching out and having people affirm this event. And while we're on this topic of the logistics, let me ask you, this is Tuesday, September 13th, next Tuesday, September 13th, beginning at 7 o'clock, 7 to 8.30 on Zoom. How, how do people register? Because I do understand you need, it's free and open to the public, but you need to register. How do we do that, Tom? Well, we've sent out to all of our networks, and the networks have been asked to send to their networks. All of the sponsors have sent out registration information. Um, is there a way we could put it on on your show? I don't know exactly what your other possibilities are, but we've we've been reaching out extensively. I think the last count was at least 240 people have registered so far. Okay, we'll try to put the link up here. Thank you, I appreciate that. Let me ask you this, Rose Saki Milligan, what are your hopes for this event? What do you hope to come out of it? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very excited about this event, and see the, the possibility of bridging the divide between two very powerful ethnicities that have a tremendously long history of working together against oppression in this country 
And I am really hoping that this can be a catalyst to um, stimulate uh, a history that is has been latent, but the embers, the embers are are there to to reignite. And um, I think once there is a deeper understanding of our histories, I think that once we understand the the ways in which we have been divided, that people will rethink and continue to reflect on the ways that we can join together in this very important, very, very important uh, event and ongoing work together. I remember back in my youth, those many centuries ago, that Jews and uh, people of color, uh, African Americans in particular, were allies, standing shoulder to shoulder, going back to the uh, fights, civil rights facts, fights in the early uh, 20th century. And yet that relationship between uh, blacks and Jews has become frayed and fraught. And I'm wondering in the a couple minutes we have left whether you would share your reflections on that, Rose. Yes, indeed, Bill. It has become frayed and fraught over the years for a number of reasons which we don't have time to go into at this moment. But there is the constant recognition that we are, in fact, fighting one, one, one uh, important source, uh, that there is really, um, th that we need to unify if we're going to be strong, if we're going to overcome the threats to both of our communities. It is vital that we stay connected as, a, as, as one group. And will this event go into the practicalities? It's, will we come out of it with, with some kind of an action plan, or we're we just going to come out of it, not just, but we'll come out of this with a focus on more understanding, or is there some combination of the two? A combination, a combination of the two, uh, education, but as Tom was saying, our hope is that through the survey that we will get a sense of what people are likely to do our goal is to really um, have a long-term hope and expectation that this, uh, this event will stimulate organ organizing, coming together of bodies of people in the valley to continue this very important work. So building organizing strategies, building coalitions going forward is our ultimate goal. I'm going to turn to back to T Tom Wiener to give us the information one more time, assuming his technological connection does not, well, scream at us. Let's see. Tom, are you here? I'm there. I'm here. That's and I great. will say that it's this Tuesday, 7 o'clock, Zoom registration required. It goes till 8.30, and Yavila McCoy is the centerpiece, but we will have a Q&A, and we're very excited to have as many people in attendance as possible. One last question for you before we go, and I'm really looking forward to this event. Was there some occurrence, was there some event that uh, was, the, was precipitating in terms of saying uh, Congregation B'nai Israel and the dozen or more local groups, civil rights and uh, human rights groups uh, that are supporting and endorsing this event, was there some, something that happened that said we should do this 
or has this simply been a lingering, festering issue that you thought needed to be addressed? Well, I think it's all in the aftermath of the horrors of George Floyd. There was no immediate precipitator in terms of something that we reacted to, but white supremacy, Trumplicanism, they're all in the mix and they're all frightening because they're threatening our democracy. And black people and Jewish people forming a coalition or reforming or reigniting, I love Rose's Ember's comment, will be essential to, to combating what we're up against. Tom Weiner and Rose Saki Milligan are local residents on the planning committee for Standing Together Against Racism and Anti-Semitism. The event is free and open to the public, but you have to re pre-register, please. This will be on Tuesday, September 13th, next Tuesday, 7 to 8.30 on Zoom. Thank you both so very much. Rose, Tom, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing this really important event to our community. Thank you, Bill, for the opportunity. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll will be the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor. Senator Eric Lesser conceded last night and offered his support. And I personally am very excited to get to work for the Healy-Driscoll ticket for victory in November. Driscoll will now join Maura Healy on the Democratic ticket for governor, lieutenant governor in November. They'll face off against Jeff Deal, who won the Republican nomination over Chris Dowdy. Amherst town officials are exploring options on renovations at the Jones Library. The Finance Committee met last night to talk about questions they have for the Jones Library trustees regarding escalating costs and whether the combination of grants, fundraising, and state support will allow the full project to proceed. Town manager Paul Bockelman tells the Gazette any decision on proceeding or halting the project will need to be made within the next few weeks as costs are only expected to rise should there be delays. The Finance Committee will discuss this further at a second meeting and the Town Council will also discuss the plans at its meeting on Monday. The Wisdom Way construction project will impact Franklin County Fair traffic in Greenfield as a portion of Wisdom Way is closed between the Green River Cemetery and the intersection of River and Mill Streets. To help visitors avoid delays, there will be free parking and shuttle buses. The shuttles will run from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. from the Greenfield parking garage and the old courthouse parking lot on Munson Street to the fairgrounds. The 173rd Franklin County Fair, Thrills for You in 22, will open tomorrow following the annual kickoff parade from Greenfield Middle School at 5 p.m. For today, becoming partly sunny, high 70 to 74. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 52 to 56. And the outlook for Thursday, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds, highs in the mid and upper 70s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Es probable que Estados Unidos comience a recomendar anualmente las vacunas COVID-19, dijeron funcionarios de salud el martes, a medida que se implementan nuevos refuerzos diseñados para combatir las variantes del coronavirus que circulan actualmente. Para fines de esta semana, el 90% de los estadounidenses vivirá dentro de las 5 millas de los sitios que tienen vacunas actualizadas, dijo el secretario de Salud de Estados Unidos, Javier Becerra, en una sesión informativa en la Casa Blanca. Las autoridades dijeron que las personas podrían recibir los nuevos refuerzos este otoño o invierno junto con sus vacunas anuales regulares contra la gripe y dijeron que era probable que esto se convierta en un ritual anual. 
En otras informaciones, la fiscal general Maura Healy ganó las primarias demócratas para gobernadora de Massachusetts el martes, acercándose un paso más a convertirse en la primera candidata abiertamente gay y la primera mujer elegida para el cargo político más importante del estado, ocho años después de haber sido elegida la primera fiscal general abiertamente gay del país. Healy, cuyo único rival por la nominación se retiró de la carrera pero permaneció en la boleta electoral, será la gran favorita en noviembre contra el ganador de las primarias republicanas. El ex representante estatal Geoff Deal, quien fue respaldado por el expresidente Donald Trump, y el empresario Chris Doughty, considerado más moderado, se postulan para la nominación republicana. El gobernador republicano de centro, Charlie Baker, decidió no buscar un tercer mandato y no apoyó a ninguno de los candidatos republicanos. Por otra parte, ninguno de los nueve miembros demócratas titulares de la Cámara de Representantes de Estados Unidos se enfrenta a desafíos primarios. Sin embargo, hay dos primarias republicanas disputadas en los distritos 8 y 9 del Congreso. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We welcome back to the show Jeff Napolitano. Jeff is a longtime community activist and organizer. He was the director of the late and beloved Resistance Center, director of the Western Massachusetts American Friends Service Committee office, uh, which, of course, was an important part of the fabric of our political community and community at large for many, many years. Uh, Jeff is with us this morning because we had talked after there was a segment on this show, well let's just be neutral, about masks and COVID protocols in the Northampton public schools this year, which I think is a really important issue. Uh, first, though, Jeff, I'd like you to uh, share with us uh, thoughts that you might have had uh, as an activist, as a community organizer, with regard to the segment that we just heard with Rose Saki Milligan and Tom Weiner about the event, Standing Together Against Racism and Anti-Semitism. Do you think this is a topic that is uh, necessary to address here in the Valley? Or do we really grapple with these, particularly here in the Upper Valley, where we think of ourselves as so enlightened and anti-racist? I'm not sure how many people consider us to be enlightened and anti-racist um, here in in the Upper Valley. Um, but um, but yeah, no, it's totally necessary. It's, it's a good thing. Um, I know both uh, the Tom and, and Rose, or at least of them, and um, the organizations like Arise uh, and the Sojourner Truth School and Critical Connections that have all co-sponsored the event are great organizations. And yeah, who is who wouldn't be in favor of uh, folks, particularly from the upper and lower valley, getting together to talk about racism and anti-Semitism? Um, I don't know very much about the event. I think it's. I think people should go. Uh, I I am a little bit wary of uh, the issue of anti-Semitism being lumped in with the defense for the state of Israel. Um, that always is sort of a, a red flag for me, um, particularly given the, the state of, um, of, of apartheid in Israel. Um, but that aside, taking on racism within the United States, there's plenty of racism, there's plenty of anti-Semitism, uh, even in our precious valley that uh, needs to be addressed. Now, what I'm moved by is the idea that the end of this, this is going to be an action-oriented event, what we can do, what you can do to help combat racism and anti-Semitism. It's not just a lecture by a very distinguished, and I'm told, very engaging speaker, mm -hmm. 
it is something what we can do to try to move towards an eradication of racism and anti-Semitism uh, in the Valley. Yeah, and that also, uh, we're not, we don't have a, a shortage of options. You know, there's, I think, the structural racism and, and structural issues like, uh, you know, issues that arise for social justice have worked on, whether it's, you know, housing or access to, uh, you know, state resources and benefits and that for, for folks of color, particularly in the Springfield area where the median uh, household income is way below what it is up here in Northampton. There's no shortage of, uh, of issues, uh, structural problems that uh, folks across the valley can join together and, and push back against. Uh, I'd like to turn to the topic that I initially invited you on to speak with us about, and that was your reaction to a segment on this show. Uh, let's see, in my defense, Josh Silver was sitting in as the host, <laughs> and I would like to note that Jeff Napolitano will be the host this Friday as well, so you can get more of Jeff. Maybe we should. And then Josh Silver's going to come in, and he's going <laughs> to retort against what Jeff Napolitano <laughs> says when he gets host. I love it. Okay. Spirited debate. So, Jeff, tell us, or refresh our memories, if you would, please, about what was said. I think we should start there and why you had such a, I, I think, uh, fair to say, an intense reaction against it. Sure. So uh, I mean, this, this is about the issue of masking in schools, which is certainly an issue. But I think the, the larger issue is uh, just about how the United States, you know, sort of writ large has abandoned public health. We've sort of moved towards a private health model uh, as opposed to a public health model. Um, and that's, you know, that's a whole other conversation and, and there's lots of stuff to, to get at about that. But uh, in particular on the show, uh, there was a guest that came in who had published a, a column in the Gazette about how, you know, it's about time that the, that we, the masks are off and, you know, the CDC says everything's okay, and and we don't want our kids to to be covered by these these hideous uh, thin pieces of plastic and and cotton uh, to to inhibit their learning and so on and so forth. And there's lots of problems with that sort of attitude. Um, the first is just obviously that the pandemic is absolutely not over. Um, you can just look at the the rates of transmission right now. Um, the other issue is that the there is no there is no, and this is according to not just pediatricians and, um, and, and researchers on child development, but also the, uh, the American Academy of, um, pediatric, uh, of Pediatrics uh, was compelled last week to actually say, hey, masking does not inhibit learning. There's nothing, there's no evidence, zero evidence uh, that masking inhibits learning, um, but there are people who sort of insist that we should have no mitigations in schools um, to protect our kids from, from COVID-19. And to protect the community. Because yeah. if we have a Petri dish of COVID in our schools, that will spread, I assume, like wildfire throughout the community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and there's lots of communities that we're, we should be concerned about. It, it's not just our kids. Um, it's not just about the issue of equity and diversity and who gets sick and who has access to the resources to, to get better. Um, and it's also about, you know, ableism. And there are millions of immunocompromised folks who really can't get a whiff of, of COVID um, because they're not protected um, because, you know, because of vaccines and so on and so forth. Um, but the thing that really 
moved me is just the the speed at which all mitigations against uh, trans preventing the transmission of COVID nineteen have just been lifted have been lifted sort of at least the public has been told about this at sort of the last minute uh, and we're supposed to presume that everything is back to normal. Well, I'd be interested if you happen to know uh, Jeff or Monty and we'll come back to the public schools in just a second. Where are the private colleges in the area? Where is the University of Massachusetts with regard to wearing of masks or maintaining social distancing and or any option for remote learning? You're at UMass, right? I'm at, so I'm a staff member at UMass, and um, it is actually a little bit crazy about what's happening at UMass. So UMass was doing surveillance testing for the last couple of years, meaning they were just sort of randomly getting uh, students and staff to come in and do testing. Um, testing was free. You could get a PCR test, uh, which is the, you know, the, the, the more rigorous, accurate test. Uh, you could get it for free. You could take it for free. It was open to people in the community. Um, they were publishing the numbers. There was mask mandates. That was all dropped. Um, the mask mandates were dropped in the spring. Uh, and as of July 31st, not only did they drop the, ter- the testing at UMass, um, but they've also dropped um, even things like reporting uh, that you're, you're a positive, for instance, um, uh, have sort of been abandoned at UMass. Well, that sounds to me really dangerous, particularly at a college and the university, when students come from all over the country. Yep. They have to travel to Amherst mm-hmm. many times internationally and many times from many hundreds or thousands of miles away, uh, those are people who are apt to bring COVID uh, with them. And it seems to me that here we go again. This is very dangerous. Uh, Why is the university doing this? And why is this okay? Well, the short answer about why the university is doing this, because they are not getting any more state or federal money to run the testing. So that's the short answer. Um, the thing that's annoying is that they're not pushing back at this at all. They're just, you know, saying, "Oh well, this is this is how it is." Um, but the thing that is, I think, the most insane about our situation—not just here in public schools, and not just at UMass, and not just e- even in Massachusetts—is just that, like, we're getting rid of testing um, as as a whole. So, okay, you know, we might get COVID. There might be transmission, but we can't even tell necessarily what the levels of COVID are when we eliminate testing, when we don't have um, testing available in the public. And so when, you know, Fauci has come out and public health officials have come out and talked about, like, we have the tools, we have the tools, the most basic fundamental tool is testing so you can actually tell where and, and, and how much of the virus exists. What is, I, I should note, I did receive an email or text from a listener who said last week I had understated and misstated the number of COVID uh, deaths that are still occurring in the United States. It is substantial. Yeah, it's about four to 500 a day. Sure. And what I am, uh, so if I misspoke on that, my, my apologies. And that person happens to be the woman who's uh, organizing the COVID memorial event in Goshen this Saturday, because mm-hmm. we also haven't stopped to grieve about the number of people that have died during this pandemic. Yes, well, I had I had a comment on that in the piece I wrote in the Daily Hampshire Gazette over the weekend. Um, I, I'd be interested to know, from your perspective, uh, Jeff, um, how do we get to this place? How do we arrive at a place where 
hundreds of deaths, hundreds of deaths, death after death after death, now becomes acceptable. It's, yeah. it's as part of the so-called new normal. I'll put air quotes around it, but yeah. it's not normal, and it shouldn't be normal, and we shouldn't normalize it. And here we are in this allegedly enlightened upper valley with a lot of educational institutions mm-hmm. and in the S- southern valley as well, where no masks are required, no testing is available. Someone is going to get really sick. Well, some people will get really sick, sure. and some people on account of this are apt to die. How do we end up in this place? Um, that's a, a fine point. Uh, that's, I think, the, the, the big question, and, and I wrote a, an article, uh, a column that uh, is uh, going to be published in the Gazette uh, about this very issue, and in the first paragraph, I point out that um, what's really shocking about history is just learning um, at the beginning of this pandemic that the most deadly wave of the pandemic from 1919 of the flu was the second wave, it wasn't the initial one because everybody masked up and everybody, you know, uh, took some pr- precautions and mitigations and then people were like, oh, we have to get back to normal. We have to get back to how life was before and everybody let down their guard and that's when the most, most deaths and disabilities and so on and so forth occurred. I want to talk more about the, the effect on learning of these mitigation efforts <clears throat> and misinformation that's out there about that when we'll continue this conversation right after this break. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmers markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CESA's bright yellow Local Hero label letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero Food, as fresh as it gets. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone, two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build SolarWrite and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Hey, are you coming to the Doozy Do Parade? The what? The Doozy Do Parade. There'll be teams of marchers, all with their own theme, as well as bands, floats, antique cars, roller derby, you name it. It's a fundraiser for Northampton Neighbors, which provides free services for seniors living in the area. Sounds like fun. When is it? Saturday, September 17th, rain or shine. They'll step off from Northampton Center for the Arts at 11 a.m. and march up Main Street to the Academy of Music. Anyone can join a team or donate at doozydo.org. See you there. Hi, I'm Missy Tetro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Have we got some exciting news for you. I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. 
We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. And I'm mortgage originator Kimberly Gates. There's still time to get $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person at one of our convenient locations. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with longtime political and community activist, <coughs> excuse me, Jeff Napolitano. <coughs> During the break, we were talking, we continued our conversation, and you were telling us, Jeff, about west, wastewater testing and where that is happening, where it is not yet happening, and what it shows. I thought there was something I did not know, and I'd appreciate if you would share that with our listeners. Sure. So, I mean, one one seemingly acceptable measure of uh, testing is from our toilets. So uh, the city of Amherst, for instance, has been contracted with a company uh, to provide well, testing of their wastewater, of their sewage, uh, basically, uh, to see how much uh, virus is, is in it. Um, you, so you get a sense of how much is coming from, you know, UMass Amherst or Amherst College in the town of Amherst and so forth. Um, but uh, at least to my knowledge, as of right now, we're not doing that here uh, in Northampton. But it is one way, it's the least invasive way to have a sense of how much uh, COVID is in the community. Um, it's certainly not perfect, um, but it's something. I'd like to... Uh, know where that goes with Amherst. If you find out there's a lot of COVID in Amherst, what are they going to do? Well, this is the other thing, is that why have testing um, of anything if there's nothing attached to it? So, I mean, you know, we, we at UMass Amherst, there was testing last semester or last year, but there was no, this is what happens if we get to 80% transmission or something crazy. And so to test by itself, okay, that's somewhat useful. Uh, that means, you know, if I'm going out to go grocery shopping, maybe I should put on a mask or something like that. Um, but as a sort of public health measure, if you don't have a trigger saying like, okay, well, we've got transmission above or we've got this much amount of COVID in the wastewater, so let's do X, Y, and Z, um, then testing by itself isn't very useful at all. You made a really interesting point. We just have two minutes left, but you made a really interesting point. If we went from an enormous amount of mitigation or mitigation efforts anyway, to nothing. And how is that possible as public policy, particularly here in Massachusetts? Um, I have to say that, uh, you know, it all comes from the top. And one of the things that the Biden administration has been terrible about has been uh, COVID, which is ironic because this is one of the big issues. It was actually the issue that the Democrats were entrusted with uh, above and beyond anything else, more than the Republicans, when when there was when the 2020 uh, race was was in effect, you know, Trump was obviously doing a terrible job, and Biden said, "Oh, if with any anybody, any president that has presided over 200,000 um, uh, deaths um, had doesn't deserve to be the president." Well, in the last year, Biden has presided over 
200,000, it's around 220,000 deaths of U.S. citizens from COVID-19. And that's with the benefit of a vaccine. And so, um, you know, it, it, it all comes from the top. Last question, 10 seconds. You said masks do not inhibit learning, and that is, there are studies about this? There's a opinion? Yeah. No, I, I don't say that. So there's <clears throat> tons of pediatricians, there's tons of, uh, of uh, research scientists that say it, but most importantly, the American Academy of Pediatrics um, has said that. Um, they, and they have finally come out and said this, this is, I think, last week or the week before. There is no evidence, zero evidence of this. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Jeff Napolitano, your host here on the show on Friday. Thank you, Jeff, for coming in. Really appreciate your time and insights. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's